Today's episode is brought to you by me. Still mostly just brought to you by me. However, my friends over at DefiantBean.com are trying to help out too, but they can't do it alone. Defiant Bean Roasters take responsibly sourced quality coffee beans, lovingly and caringly roast them, sometimes while listening to the Enormacast apparently. Then they put them in a bag, still warm, in a box, and send them to you. So fresh, the beans think they're on a little vacation right up until they hear the grinder fire up. But anyway, DefiantBean.com is offering EnormaCast listeners a deal. 10% off any order, and we, the royal we over here at the EnormaCast, get 10% as well. That's DefiantBean.com. Enter Enormo in the coupon code at checkout and get 10% off great coffee. Or head over to EnormaCast.com. Click on the Defiant Bean banner for details. Be defiant. Demand fresh roasted coffee. All right, on to the show. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big house. place. That's, out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll see. You really should. The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a freight end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Hello and welcome to the Normal Cast. This is your host Chris Kalous. It is August 15th, 2012. 7 o'clock in the morning. 7 o'clock Mountain Standard Time. Why am I doing this at 7 o'clock in the morning? Well, it's the only time I could find to do it. I've got my defiant bean with me, so I'm going to be okay. I'm a little worked. There was a bear family outside of my cabin last night uh, at like four in the morning. The little bear started whining loudly, groaning like a Wookiee for some reason. Mom couldn't find enough food for it or something, but uh, that got me out of bed and I was watching my little buddy out there and his mom take apples off the trees. It's a little scary, I guess, when at one point I looked out my front door and she was basically sitting on my front step. So there was just a hollow door and a little piece of glass between me and a bear. I got a little bit of adrenaline from that because I just flicked the light on and there she was. Anyhow, I'm going to be okay. I'm coming online here. On today's show, Brendan Leonard, author and creator of the website semirad.com and Semirad is a really cool website that sort of deals with climbing from a bunch of different angles, a lot of them quite humorous. If you haven't checked that out, you should go check it out. Um, I consider that website, along with uh, my friend BJ over at Splitter Choss and a couple others, to be kind of this little group of online media that's trying to do something a little bit different. So I have sort of a solidarity, I feel, with Brendan. That's why I asked him to be on the show. And he's been a listener for a while and was excited to come and sit down. And the conversation got pretty deep. He's really well-spoken, a really intelligent guy, and we talked quite a bit about his motivations to climb. He is definitely considers himself kind of an everyman climber. You know, he doesn't necessarily strive to climb really, really hard. He talks about being motivated to do long, big, what he considers kind of easier routes in the mountains, although, as he says, they're hard for him. We also talk about alcohol addiction, the way it affected his life and how climbing fit into that was really interesting. So we'll get to that in a minute. But, you know, talking about that addiction thing made me start to think about uh, maybe a little bit of the darker side of this whole climbing thing, you know. And a couple of years ago, Matt Samet wrote a really interesting piece for Outside about his own sort of issues with climbing and, and touched on a little bit of this addiction thing. And uh, I started to think about that as well and that I like to sort of, you know, s- spray up sunshines and rainbows about how great climbing is and how, you know, important it is to everybody's lives. But I started to think a little bit about that darker side, about how in a lot of ways it can exhibit itself as an addiction and have some of those negative effects of the way it sort of draws us in in a lot of ways is a good thing. But when, you know, it starts to affect relationships start to affect careers, 
And in some ways, it can manifest itself into something that can actually get you killed. You know, maybe not rock climbing so much, but I have had plenty of friends who've passed away in the mountains and were completely aware of the danger of the things that they're about to go do. And as friends and relatives and significant others questioned their drive to continue to go do these things in the mountains, they kept doing them. And finally, the odds were against them and they didn't make it back. At the trade show, I talk about having been at the trade show when we did this interview. Um, I got a preview of the Real Rock Tour, and some of the films are going to be putting out on this next tour, which will be coming around this fall. And one of them was an ascent of the shark's fin on Maru by Conrad Anchor, Jimmy Chin, and Renan Ozturk. And that movie really dealt with this kind of addiction that mountains can bring and how it can hurt families and it can hurt relationships. And again, these guys all came back from it, but it was really close. It was really on the edge, especially for Renan. And Renan was going into it with an injury, but all of those guys couldn't stay away. At one point, Jimmy Chin, in a previous attempt on film, says, I'm never coming back. And then not too long in the future, he's back. So just some food for thought. Maybe sometimes this climbing thing can get a little bit out of control. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I know many of you would love to climb so much more than you're already able to do it. And maybe this sounds kind of silly, but um, I think there's probably a lot of examples out there where the addiction maybe got a little bit out of control and started to have a darker side to it. So if you have some thoughts on that or thoughts on anything else, go ahead and email me, chris at normalcast.com and uh, we can talk about it. Maybe it'd be a good topic for a show down the line if I could get some people to open up about it. But that's enough of all this downer morning talk. I got to get some more coffee in me. Hopefully you two are all coffeeed up and ready to go for your day. Or maybe it's nighttime wherever you are. Or maybe you're on a road trip. Or maybe you're lucky enough to be sitting under a tree in El Cap Meadow right now listening to your iPod. Lucky you. So let's get to it. Here's my interview with Brendan Leonard, living the American dirtbag dream. Sorry. No, that's fine. All right, so uh, I'm sitting at the... Uh, I'm, I'm still at the Roadway Inn. I don't know when this is going to come out, but uh, I just had uh, Randy Levitt in here yesterday, and uh, now today I've got uh, Brendan Leonard, who I don't actually know really well. Brendan, <laughs> I don't know you that well. We have sort of a similar mission in life, at least part of our lives, and that's kind of, I guess, in a way, trying to circumvent, go around and get into and get into the middle of climbing media and maybe uh, take it apart a little bit as best we can. So Brendan Leonard's the author and creator of a website called semirad.com, which uh, I was turned on to by, by my friend BJ Sabara, who's over at Splitter Choss. And uh, it's just some irreverent stuff and uh, some really hilarious stuff. And I don't know if you, Brendan, have like a, a mission with that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And, um, but it's a really great website that everybody needs to check out, and I feel a kinship to that web- website because of your attitude towards just kind of making fun of this little game that we take so seriously called rock climbing. But, uh, Brendan, thanks for coming and sitting down with me. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's an honor. So in the uh, in the vernacular of the trade show, because we're still at the trade show, how's your show going? <laughs> I feel like I've totally unbalanced uh, i'm missing the balance between climbing sleeping and actually having meetings with people but yeah. other than that I'm doing, I'm doing a lot of climbing i think i'll climb every day of the show yeah including today so i mean how could it be going better that's proud yeah actually <laughs> yeah right i'm i'm really uh mostly my mission is to you know find as much free coffee as possible and uh keep moving talking to people i'm doing well yeah you so. can spend hours in the royal robbins line yeah at the, at the trade show oh, I they do. give away free free coffee i just tip big and have them pour me as many shots as they can at once you know so so before yeah. we get into your your media and, and what you do you're also a writer that's actually kind of the way you put gas in your van is that correct yeah, yeah. actually um yeah not the money pouring into semi <laughs> 
No, potentially. We hope to. We. I hope to get some money pouring in. That's funny the way you boring, just said that. You know, I just, yeah. I, I use the same thing, the woo. The we. The royal we. Yeah. yeah. So. No, yeah. I uh, do a lot of freelance writing. Um, I'm actually going to be 100% outdoor writing as of uh, about a week from now. Oh, that's um, cool. So I write for Adventure Journal. That's kind of a fuller time gig. And then uh, contributing editor at Climbing. I write for Backpacker, The Dirtbag Diaries, High Country News every once in a while. Anywhere people will let me run my mouth, basically, and give me money for it. I'm all for it. So, yeah. been doing that. I've been trying to do that for about eight years now, I think, because I started in 2004 trying to, you know, bang my head against the wall and get into some places. And I think I first wrote for the Mountain Gazette in 2006. Uh And, uh, yeah, have tried to get my stuff in as many places as possible since then. So it's... It's a good uh, path towards poverty and joy, I guess, is maybe I would say. I'd say the same thing. Right. (laughs) So what kind of climber are you? Let's go back to that. Boy, um, I'm a weak climber. I would say that. Um, I enjoy suffering, but mostly long, easy trad. And I say easy. It's not easy for me, but most people would refer to it as easy. I love, like, I was talking to a friend of mine about climbing a few weeks ago, and he said, I'm kind of down on it. I just don't feel like I'm ever going to really crush it. And I said, well, what's your definition of crushing it? Because mine is, uh, you know, leading 5'8 with a pack on in the mountains, you know, uh-huh. trad routes. And that's really what speaks to me. Um, that is what I'd love to be doing. I love long days. You know, I don't really do projects. I like, I don't hate any type of climbing. I suck at bouldering because I'm not strong. I like to do a little sport climbing sometimes, but Usually when I sit around and think, oh, it's, you know, Saturday's coming up. What am I going to do? I want to do long trad routes uh-huh. or get into the mountains, you know, places where you can really kind of get into some trouble or get, you know, the wind in your face and blowing snot out of your nose, get rained on, get stormed on, you know, things like that. That's kind of what I like to do. So, where, where are you based out of? Uh, Astrovan, uh, which is in Salt Lake right now, but, um, I spent the last six years in Denver. Uh-huh. Um, and as the start of most road trips go, uh, my girlfriend broke up with me last year and I started driving around and I haven't been back since it's been a year as of last week, uh-huh. slept in 108 or nine different places. And yeah, I work from the road. So it's right. not like I'm like just driving around climbing. Uh-huh. I'm working 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week. And then but it does get you to some cool places, you know, people, I don't have to schedule a trip. I just have to go and find a coffee shop wherever it is near right. what I want to do. So, you know, it's like a, a product, of the internet age that's benefited climbers in this really crazy way in terms of being able to work from the road, you know, and I've seen people go as far as to put these little, like, you know, internet dishes on top of their van, but you don't even really need to do that. If you're just, like you said, within you know, close enough to a coffee shop that you can even, you know, just simply post your stuff because you can work on it, you know, without the internet. And, uh, you know, someday when, when the normal cast is, is independently wealthy, I'm, I'm sure I'll be parked right next to you somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. the dream, right? Is to become homeless. <laughs> well, you know, that's actually, that's actually funny. I, I titled an essay that I wrote uh, and sent it, uh, it actually got published under a different name, but I called it the new American dream is homelessness. Right. Just kind of lessons I learned from, you know, being out of my own, not having a nucleus to, to return to, you know? And it was like, yeah, how's, you know, people say like, how's your trip going? I'm like, well, it's just kind of my life right now. I'm kind of on a five week trip right now. And I just got back from, but it's like, you're not, I don't have a home anymore. I have a storage unit. Right. uh, A buddy of mine just moved his stuff into too because he went to go teach yoga in Indonesia for six months. And uh-huh. we, we thought it was just great. We've been buddies since college. Like, oh, we're really going somewhere, aren't we? You know, yeah. Well, all our stuff yeah. in the storage unit. Uh huh. But yeah, it's uh, it's interesting that you can do that, and I think people work and they take vacations, and when they take vacations, they travel. You know, and so a lot of people, the normal scope of things, and I've I've worked my entire life. You know, since I got out of college, those types of jobs, and um, you know, you get X number of weeks off, and you get this many weekends and three day weekends or whatever. And you always want to travel when you do that. And you travel within the means of those constraints. You know, we have two weeks. That means we can go to Europe or we have three days. That's a quick trip to Vegas, you know, or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. whatever's close to you. Um, but if you don't have that, if you don't have that home to return to, you're just, you know, people are saying, Oh, you should come to San Francisco sometime. You're like, yeah, I could be there in eight hours. Actually. I mean, what are you guys doing this weekend? Yeah. I can only stay for a month. 
Ah. That's my joke, you know. <laughs> guest bedroom, couch, shower, that's fine, great. You know, what you're talking about it, too, in terms of, of uh, switching that kind of um, concept of what the American dream is or what you're supposed to do with your life. And I remember actually being here at the trade show. It was quite a few years ago, but I happened to be eating dinner with um, a writer from ESPN who was here to, at that time, uh, interview the young up-and-coming Chris Sharma for uh, for ES, or for No, not ESPN. He was uh, Sports Illustrated for SI Kids. Okay. It was going to be this article about... In this case, he was, I think he was already in his early 20s, but it was going to be this article about Chris Sharma. And he was sitting at dinner with us and was talking about some climber that he'd met. And it just like blew his mind. He's like, this guy's been living in a tent in Yosemite for, he's like, he's been living in a tent for like two years. It's just amazing. And, and then he's like, do you guys know this, this, this guy named Chris Sharma? <laughs> and all of us were climbers at the table. And it just made me realize and made us all realize like how the mainstream, not just media, but just people in general don't have any concept of what we're doing, like what it is. Because when he said, yeah, I know this guy that has been living in a tent, you know, I, I, I said, yeah, I could, you know, in the next five minutes, I could introduce you to about 10 of those people if you're really into it, you know, that, that right. concept. So, but it blew his mind. And then the fact that, you know, he said, who do you know who this guy is? And it's yeah. like, uh, yeah, we kind of know who that guy is, you know. <laughs> but this was sort of this moment where the mainstream sports media had decided they wanted to be interested in Chris Sharma for a minute, you know. And he never heard of him before he was assigned to come and come and check it out. Right. So, you know, the best American rock climber at the time, the guy from Sports Illustrated had never heard of. You right. Know? So it, it was just an interesting sort of glimpse into how that outside world is pretty clueless about what we're doing and. I mean, I just assume keep it that way to a certain extent, so. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, I guess my take on it is, it's like, I'm really happy. You know, I'm like, I'm really happy mm -hmm. doing what I'm doing. And mm -hmm. you've probably had long periods of being like, you know, this is really incredible. What amazing life, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I have these moments all the time. I'm just standing on a belay ledge. And I'm like, wow, you know, like there's birds flying over my head. I'm like the view I'm looking at. And you want to share that with people, mm -hmm. you know, even if they don't understand it, you want to find a way to make it kind of accessible. Sure. Or at least so they can experience it through your eyes. And like, I mean, yeah, you don't, I mean, nobody, my high school guidance counselor never said, you know, when we sat down, he didn't sit there and go, you know what you should do become a <laughs> rock climber. You know, right. he's like, do you want to be an accountant? Do you like marketing? Do you like, do you want to be a school teacher? He wasn't like, you should start climbing. And then eventually someday you can live in a van. You right. Know? But like you keep walking, you keep pushing away from the things that you don't want to do. And someday you end up doing something that's pretty rad. And mm. I mean, yeah, most people don't want to live in a tent in Yosemite for two right. years, but man, if they could live there for a week, it would hit the reset button for them in such a way they'd be like, huh, you know, this is, this is actually pretty amazing, right. you know, being in this place for a week. And, you know, we don't like, we take these vacations and they're short, you know, and we, it's a little break. You don't even get your suitcase unpacked sometimes, but climbing for some reason people are so passionate about it that they will give up everything and go live in yosemite for a month you know or or whatever it is and that once you get away from society for long enough you're like you know this is my new reality mm -hmm. all i have to do is figure out how to eat you know yeah um but yeah that's funny how that clicks for you at the table with that guy and you're like i know this guy he lives in yosemite in a tent for two years and you're like that could be one of six or seven people I know that are uh, at this party we're sitting at what, right now. Yeah, yeah, what did his letter? What letter does his name start with? Exactly, that's great. So let me uh, move on to your your website, uh, semirad.com. Uh, you know, if people haven't gone to it, they need to check it out. And uh, it's something like I said, I got turned on to not too long ago, and it's just uh, it's a good diversion. It has kind of onion like qualities to it <laughs> at times, which you know has always been one of my favorite things. So tell me about putting that together and what your motivations are and were. And, uh, uh, you know, to, to get that site going up. But I just went kind of full-time writing, uh, about, let's see, January, 2011, I was doing some corporate copywriting remotely and then tried to drum up freelance work on the side, which I had already done a few, couple articles for climbing, a bunch of stuff for the mountain Gazette and a few other publications, dirtbag diaries and stuff like that. And I thought, you know, I have all these stories. I should just try to create a brand with it. And I had watched my friend, uh, Sarah Lingefelter. She was uh, rockclimbergirl.com. Mm -hmm. This is what she put up, I don't know how many years ago, but 
somehow amassed like 6,000 Twitter followers, you know, cause she was just a genuine, she was just being herself on the internet, you know, which was great. I thought, well, I could, you know, maybe I'll try to do something that's a brand and just picked a short website URL and Twitter handle. And I started writing and <clears throat> where it is now it's, I guess it's what, it's 18 months old, something like that. And it's gotten some pretty solid traffic at this point. Um, so I'm able to write, see what resonates with people. And then, you know, the next week or two weeks down the road, I understand what people will like and try to do that. And the funny stuff is what people share, but I like to write the more like what to me is insightful, uh-huh. you know? And most of it just is, I guess what I think it is, is turning a mirror on all the people like you and me who are into the outdoors, even if they're not climbers, if we all, you know, we all are the word dirtbag. I think really is our term of endearment for people who want to be in the outdoors and we have so much in common and it's fun to say, Hey, did you ever think of this? Or, you know, it's funny to, you know, I do like to make fun of the stuff we do, like uh-huh. putting stickers on water bottles and like how, how much attention we pay to the, our analogy and with all like, oh, does, that this, was, does this represent me? And that you know, was your most recent yeah, post I saw. Pre-stickered, yeah, water, pre-stickered bottles. water bottle. Yeah. So that yeah. would sell those. I mean, those would sell. <laughs> I haven't really thought about the business model. I just okay, thought I'd well, put it up to laugh at it. I mean, people have pre-worn you know, worn jeans. You're right. It's kind of the same You're thing. You're right. It is. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's there's stuff that we do that's just so ridiculous. And it's, you know, it's, I think if you're going to write stuff, and I mostly write from the first person perspective, and mm-hmm. there's a way to do that where it's just talking about yourself. You know, it's just, oh, look at me and look what I did. You know, mm-hmm. there I was again, you know, on the petite and... Well, I started storming and, you know, like a lot of people aren't going to climb the petite. That's fine. Right. But, uh, you know, there's also another way to write about it where it reflects everybody else. And I would like, I would hope that I can do that, you know, where people are reading it and saying, oh, that's, that's me too. I'm, I know exactly what you're talking about. I felt that, but I've never been able to express it. And it's great to read it, you know? Sure. Because I think that's the best writing, you know, Dave Barry, the, the old columnist for the gosh, what paper was it? My, like the Miami. Yeah. Yeah. Miami Herald or something like that, you know, highly syndicated, just uber famous. And he did that, you know, he would just talk about himself, but it was just like this goofy guy and it had something in common with everybody. And that's why people loved him, you know, and we're, you know, we're in this narcissistic society. All we want to do is talk about ourselves, but there's a way to do it where it's, you know, it resonates with people as opposed to just you vomiting what you ate for breakfast onto Twitter and everything else, you know, I think I'll go shopping, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, I went to the gym today. Great. Good for you. You know, like, mm-hmm. do we need to take up internet space with that? I don't know. But, uh, that's what I'd like to do is just kind of have a voice or give people something to read that, that reflects what they are, you know? Right. And, and well, you know that I, I, I also sort of point to some of that irreverent stuff that's on, on semi-rad, but, um, my own writing is, is similar in a sense that, I do end up writing from the first person. I actually have a tendency, I think, and of late, maybe with this podcast as well, to have aired over into the irreverent side maybe a little bit too much sometimes, almost too insulting. I mean, the whole aid rant thing, you know, definitely pissed no, off a good. lot of people. But And I just actually recently reread the companion piece I wrote to that in Rock and Ice, and I was like, wow, you're kind of a dick here and there in this thing, you know? You know, and I kind of saw that in your writing, not the dick part, but the irreverent part. And then I picked up uh, the recent issue of of Mountain Gazette, the recent climbing issue. I think it's the June issue of Mountain Gazette. Yeah. And I'm paging through it, and I'm like, oh, check it out. Here's something by Brendan Leonard. And then by the end of it, I, I had this whole new perspective on you as a writer, which I think you just explained to me a little bit in that it's not just about poking fun at everything. So, um there's a piece in, in that in that Mountain Gazette, which is probably still in the newsstand things underneath the last two issues. <laughs> if you haven't read it, go grab it out of there. But uh, called Where It Ended, um, where you talk about um, it, it's a divorce. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it talks about addiction. It talks about some serious relationship problems. It talks about stuff that was going through your head that you know almost bordered on suicidal. And um, it was an amazingly well-crafted and heavy piece that I, I sat, I set the, the, the magazine down and just sat there for a while. So it, it really blew me away. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that piece? And, uh, we don't have to do a synopsis, but 
you know, that seemed to be something that you drew from really deep inside. Were you nervous putting that kind of information out there about your life? It's like you went, you know, you went all the way the other direction on that one. So, yeah, no, thank you. I'm glad that, that you liked it. Um, yeah, I, you know, I got, I got divorced, uh, in 2008 and I, the day we went and filed divorce papers, I was just crushed, you know? I mean, it was like, it's just a breakup. That's like, you have to legally go and do it. And we didn't have a messy divorce. We were just like, this isn't working. And mm -hmm. it was still that, you know, it's like one of the saddest days of my life. And, uh, I got home that night after, I mean, it's the second, I guess, second to last time I ever saw my ex-wife. Um, she's a great person and I would like to be a great person. And, uh, it just wasn't working out. And, um, I sat down and typed into my computer exactly everything that happened as we filed the divorce papers. Cause I, I don't know why what I was going to do with it. And I just, save this document. And the next day I got up and <clears throat> I'd never soloed anything, but I'd climb the first, the third flat iron anymore. Like, it's funny when you say, were you nervous about putting that out there? I was like, yeah, I'm kind of worried that the solo isn't that difficult. And like, people won't really respect it. <laughs> so like five, four, but, uh, it, it's, and that's, it's com it completely irrelevant. Right. Man. Come on. Well, I don't, <laughs> I don't think it is, Okay, but yeah. So I, you know, and it's like, I mean, there's things that are in common with every free solo right. that you do, whatever. And it's like, you know, I mean, the third flat iron, it's a scramble to people in Boulder. And I think I said that in the article, but you know, you get up there, if you fall, you're not going to stop. You're going to die. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, you're, or you're going to be severely messed up when you get down there. So, and that was what happened the exact next morning. And, um, yeah, I haven't had a drink in 10 years as of March. And, um, it's those 10 years have been a pretty interesting way of learning to deal with every psychological thing that happens to you, emotions, everything like that, you know, you just don't get a break. You just don't get ever, you know, like people, you, you know, if people remind you of something you said the next day, you're not like, Oh yeah, I was really drunk. I'm sorry. Oh, you right. know, you're like, if you're a dick, you're a dick. Cause you That's weren't the real drunk, you, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know? And I, I don't do anything at all anymore besides drink coffee and I'm not like straight edge or like dissing other people for drinking or whatever, but this is like where it came from for me. And how to deal with like the worst thing that's happened to me. I have to escape this, you know, this divorce thing. So I just went and soloed the third and it wasn't that fun. Um, but I mean, it was cool. It's cool to be out there and move that fast over something. And, uh, you know, it's like, okay, that, that did it. That was cool. But I saw it as a way to tell a story, bounce back and forth between those two things, you know, mm -hmm. go between the courthouse scene and, and the free soloing and the things that go through your head and you're just in this, incredibly raw emotional state for both, both things, I think, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I still don't really, I don't really solo that much. I've done the West slabs here in Salt Lake three times, I guess in the last year, but that's three of the four solos I've done. And I've noticed I've only, I only do that when I'm single, you know, like, right. you know, if there's somebody that's counting on me coming home, I don't do that type of stuff. Uh -huh. Um, but that was, that was a unique experience for me and it's a longer that essay is part of a longer manuscript about addiction that I have that hasn't ever been published. Um, but I'd like to get it published because mm -hmm. I think when you talk about things that resonate with people, it's one of those, it's a, just a struggle, you know, and a lot of people know somebody who is an addict or are themselves or whatever. Um, and when you, I'm not nervous to put that stuff out there because I think that's the stuff that has the most potential to help people, you know? where people can read that and say, you know, I got to give this to my brother. He's struggling with right. such and such at this time, you know, and this could really help him. And that's like the essence of what I want to do as a writer, I guess, is, you know, give people something that's like either hope or inspiration or just laughter, whatever it is that they need, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and you can write in a lot of different ways to do that. And that, that particular piece is really sad and raw and, you know, but hopefully captures what people feel when they're in that situation of a relationship, you know, disintegrating. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I actually, I have a, a, a little bit of a personal question about that. Um, cause I'm just curious about, you know, if, if you're not, I'm not even going to say recovering, although I don't know how you guys put it. I mean, 10 years in, uh, it's probably just still an ongoing process of, of, of constantly dealing with it is from what I understand or people, people understand, but what is that like? I mean, this, this thing that we do, it's like beer 30 is, you know, a, a basically like institution within climbing, even here at the show, you know, the climbing section 
if you if you need to need to get a beer at the show, it's like go over into the climbing section because all the places are going to be putting out beers at the end of the day. You know, Indian Creek or wherever we're at, like, how is that to deal with on, on a personal level? Are you totally fine with it or does it ever become a problem or do you ever find it to be annoying or any of those sorts of things? Uh, you know, I mean, it's been 10 years. It's like, you know, in the first couple of years, you're just like, I'm a recovering alcoholic and you have a label for it. I just don't drink anymore. That's right. what I think. And it's like, you know, every once in a blue moon, every once in a couple months, like a few months, I'll walk by a bar and I can just smell beer. And it's like, you're just like, oh, I could just walk in there and just disappear for the next five years, you know? Wow. And be, you know, and it just comes for a second. You're like, okay, yeah, well, I'm just going to keep walking. Mm -hmm. Um, the way it is right now for me is I'm so motivated to do what I want to do, like, mm -hmm. which is write and live and like kind of, you know, the way you see the movie that's your life, you know, it doesn't involve me sitting on a bar stool and resting ever, you know? Right. Which is unfortunate because man, I, I have drank and it is awesome, you know, but I tended to have some problems with it, but sure. uh, yeah, it's not a big deal. You know, it's just like you and I don't sit there and be like, okay, I'm not going to the bar with you guys. I'll go for a little bit, but you get, right. really, you know, if you're not drinking, you get kind of bored kind of fast. And I'm like, like last night, I'm like, God, I should just go to sleep. I got to get up at five. You know, right. I'm like, if I was drinking beer, you know, Hey, I'm drinking beer. This is great. I'm not going to go to bed, but right. like, yeah, I just want to go get out of there. But there's so many other ways to relate to people. Mm -hmm. And it does, I've only had one time in the last few years where I was at a party or whatever. And somebody like, was like distrustful of me because i didn't drink beer I was really like, i was like okay dude we're never going to talk to each other again because you're clearly a juvenile i mean this right. is pathetic um and it wasn't awkward or anything but i was just like i don't know it mm -hmm. never happens and okay. you know like the situations you describe with climbing it's like a lot of kind of cragging you know i don't really do much i've actually never climbed at indian creek i've driven by it several several times but you know um just never, never done it. I don't do much cragging at all. So okay. I'm not really around big groups of people. Right. Climbing for me has become this like partner sport where it's mm -hmm. like, it's just you and a really good friend. Mm -hmm. And those are, that's where I get the best moments for me as opposed to, I mean, living in Denver for so long, you live in the middle of 3 million people. I don't want to be around too many of them on the weekends. Right. Which is why I don't ski at resorts very often. I'm right. like, Oh my God, you know, and cragging is kind of the same way. You know, there's climbs. There are climbs that are obviously awesome and w totally worth going. Indian Creek's full of them, right? right. Um, but uh, I'd rather be on something kind of long, oh, up and away from everything. We sure. actually get the clarity and can think some, you know, or the moments for me when you get a few hundred feet off the ground are way better than punching through something that's close to the ground for some reason. Uh huh. Because it seems like it's heightened. You know, you can never. You're not looking down when you got a hundred feet of rope out and you're around a corner and you can't see your partner. You're not like take, you know, cause a lot of times you're just going to fall into space and have to jug back up the rope to get on. Sure. You know, it puts you in a situation where you kind of have to punch it instead of like, Oh, I can fall here. It's cool. Right. You know, the thing is you're like the reason you quit and you stay quit, which not a lot of people do. I think the uh, success rate for people who have been in rehab is, um, it's 11%. Uh huh. So to stay sober five years, um, and I've made it 10, you know, I was like, I literally woke up in a jail cell and was like, okay, I'm done. You know, this right. is the last time. And I had to actually had to go back to jail for a week. So it wasn't the last time I was in jail, but it was like the last time I drank and you're such a disaster that you look at it and you're like that. I can't, that can't be my life anymore. Right. It's not like, oh wow. I mouthed off to somebody last night. It's like, oh wow. I'm, I'm in jail again. You sure. Know? I wrecked another car, you know? my girlfriend's going to kill me because I did this. I mean, I got jumped a couple of times. It was just disastrous, you know? I'm like, okay, I, I can't keep doing this. I'm going to get brain damage, you know, uh -huh. not from getting drunk, but from getting beaten up, you know, uh -huh. or whatever happens. And even if those experiences tacked on, on top of each other and you're like, this is a mess. And right. it's like, why do I need to do this? So you just move on, you know? And it's, I wish more people could because it's a lot of, not there's anything wrong with imbibing and you know, whatever you want to do. But, um, it's been a, for me, it's my life is completely based around that decision. Like things are all or nothing anymore. Cause you don't, you don't go, Oh yeah, I'm going to quit drinking. And then you quit for two days a week, you know, or, right. or four days a week, right. or you just kind of quit, you quit, right. you know? And it's like, you finish the job every single day. And it's the same thing with climbing, whatever else, you know, writing a story. You don't just like, 
oh, I'll kind of do some writing sometimes. It's like, I'm always writing. You know, I'm always uh-huh. going to do it. I'm compelled to do it. I want to climb. I want to climb to the summit. Give me a goal, you know, and right. I'll finish that. It's not like, oh, let's go out and walk around in nature a little bit and turn around. I'm like, I can't handle that. And people are like, yeah, let's go for a hike. And I'm like, well, what, what do you want to do? Let's go to a lake. I don't care. Let's have an endpoint, you know, as opposed to just wandering around. So you have goals and you, and you finish them, you know, because that's what you do, I guess. And there's no other event in my life has been that life changing. So yeah, I guess I'm just going to stick with it. You know, you know, you're, you just said, Hey, uh, there's nothing wrong with imbibing this or that. And frankly, uh, there's a point at which there is something wrong with it. (laughs) Yeah. So it's not as, just like you said, it's not quite as cut and dry as that either, you know? Yeah. Cause obviously there's a point at which it, it, it does become a problem. I think that that line can be wandered into long before you know you're there, you know? So, and it, it, like I said, it's such a institution with climbing that I've sat there and wondered about it myself. Like, you know, is this such a necessary part of what we do? And, and some people, yeah, it's a, a couple beers and some people it's like, how are you even going to climb tomorrow, dude? And it's like, uh, and I'm sure you've sat there kind of, you know, off to your tent, like I'm out of here or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. Although, you know, I, I was drinking beer last night and I felt the same way. I'm like, I got to go home and go to bed this week. <laughs> this is horrible. So yeah, it didn't yeah. get me through it either. So whatever. Different personality style yeah. where you can like, I mean, you can set things down. I yeah, can't set things right. down. I, like I have so. still addiction problems, but yeah. So Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, you oh, know, yeah. I don't think it's something we delve into with, with climbing a lot. You know, we've got a little bit of a fairy tale sort of rosy colored glasses on about this whole thing that we do that. Um, so it's really interesting to hear you talk about it. I appreciate it. Yeah. So when we sat down and I was kind of saying, Hey, what, you know, what should we talk about? I had some ideas. We came, we said something about the state of media mm-hmm. and, uh, I guess specifically climbing media. And, um, one thing about you and, and when you got in touch with me, um, sent me an email, you know, saying that you enjoyed the podcast and, and I kind of sent one back and I said, yeah, I have this sort of weird feeling of solidarity with you and with a couple other people out there doing uh, websites or writing or, or whatever else. Um, it kind of spoke to that in terms of I liked what you're doing with what you're writing, um, what some of these other websites are doing. And I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast like this, it's kind of this runaround of, of kind of marketing media. Um, and I'm not exactly sure what has made me uncomfortable about that more so in the last few years than, than in the past. But I've just kind of felt like there's been this, I don't know, this, it's like this tipping point, this, this maximum density of, of infusing every piece of media out there with some sort of marketing angle. And, uh, and that's kind of, like I said, sort of tough line to follow because obviously, you know, both of us would like to have an income from this and that's kind of, kind of the thing. And I don't want to burn bridges by sitting here slagging off all these different media companies that are, are infusing their, 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 whatever we look at, see here with, with marketing, but it just feels as though maybe we've gone over the line to a point where it's just starting to become a little bit overwhelming. Um, but when, when you said, mentioned sort of talking about the state of media, what, what were you getting at? Oh, I, th- I think it's just a really interesting time. Um, I mean, I think magazines are figuring out what what is going to keep them afloat. And yeah, I mean, when you say like marketing, everything has marketing attached to it. Like, in the words of Ice T, the goal is to sell out. You know, right. but we don't want to sell out in a way that looks like we're selling out. You know, and like you want to keep your soul. Um, and I think there are a few, quite a few soulful media media outlets that we can you know as creators get our stuff into. And there's also a lot of companies who are willing to say, we like what you're doing. Just keep doing it. Here's some money. So you don't have to starve, you know? Right. Um, and you can keep living the way you live that is inspiring or, or whatever, inspiring to you to create media. I mean, that said, there's like, I guess to make money or to live as a, as a writer and write about the outdoors, the, there's a place for a lot of stuff. That's not, you know, the storytelling that we definitely want to do or share these personal things or, you know, write about, our experiences or whatever like that. Um, and I've, I've had a lot of fun writing for climbing magazine and, um, some of the stuff I've written for backpacker and stuff like that too. Um, you know, 
they're figuring out what they're actually going to push forward and, and what their magazines are going to look like. And it's cool, man. I just did a story for climbing about, um, hemp rope classics. It's all these old, bold climbs that were put up pre 1945. And, uh-huh. you know, we had one from 1946 got kicked out cause it wasn't pre world war two, which was, uh, the Becky route on, uh, Liberty bell. But it's these cool, I, I enjoy going back into climbing history and just going like, look at what badasses these guys are, you know, compared to us with our cams and all this stuff. And I notice I'm always doing that. You know, I'd find myself on old routes being like, how is this a five, six, 1941, you know? And like, um, so I got to write a really cool piece about that. You know, is it my voice? Is it a great story that comes from the heart? Not, not really, but it is cool to point out all these things. They're all around the country. And I'm like, you know, I get to learn a lot of cool things by writing it, you know? Fritz Weissner on the first ascent of Devil's Tower, put in one piton, and then he, and then he regretted it, you know. Later, right. and people are like groveling up this like off width nowadays, going, "Oh yeah, take take a number five, right. take a number six if you really want to be comfortable." And you're like, or you could just be Fritz Weissner, you know. But that kind of stuff is fun too. Um, what I've learned with my website, and you're probably learning with the normal cast, is um, a lesson I I was put into words. First time I read it was uh, in. Um, Russell Simmons book, super rich, you know, Russell Simmons, hip hop mogul, vegan yogi, you know, and he said, you know, his lesson is give it away until people can't live without it, which is what he did in the early days of hip hop. You know, I want to tell stories. Are people going to pay me for, for what the stuff that I put on my website? Maybe not at first, but that website I've put out has done more for me as a writer than anything I've ever done. You know, it doesn't, people aren't coming up to you at the trade show or wherever else, um, and saying, Hey, I read that, you know, service piece that you wrote in the front of the book in such and such magazine about, you know, this, uh, this trail, you know, they're like, Hey, I really like that story you wrote about your mom, you know? Mm -hmm. And I look at that and I'm like, okay, this is pretty cool. I will keep putting effort into this because it's people love it or like it, or there are pieces of it that speak to them, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that's the, that's kind of what everybody wants is a voice, you know, or to be able to express that as a writer or creator, not everybody, but as a writer or creator. And, you know, some of my stories end up, the ones that I write on my website also end up on uh, adventure journal. And there was this point, I wrote this story about, uh, staying young as the new growing old. And I forget what Steve retitled it when he put it on adventure journal, but there was this day that it was a photo of my mom who's 62 this year standing on top of Quandary Peak two years ago because we, we hiked a 14er. She's a, she's a little dynamo, and I wanted to take her up there um, for her birthday. And we did that. So there's a photo of my mom with her hands raised on top of Quandary Peak, this little five foot two lady from the Midwest. And then Adam Ondra is the next photo right above her. And I, I took a screenshot of it and sent it to my mom. And I was like, yeah, you know, like this is funny. You know, um, those stories, I mean, you can give them life. You're not getting paid for them. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have a contract, you know, and you don't have... Oh, you're going to write 2,500 words on such and such. And there's going to be this, we need these elements and stuff like that. So I guess like do it yourself media to me is it starts out being the most soulful thing you can do Mm -hmm. as far as that goes, which is where the dirtbag Diaries started, which is, you know, my website. I feel, I hope it's soulful, you know, the normal cast, same thing. It's these, you know, grassroots things. And eventually you want to grow it to some, you know, place where people will pay for it or somebody can help you with it, you know? Right. So you're not doing it for free, but the reward's not the money anyway, you know, but you do have to figure out, you know, if you want to write and create for a living, you have to figure out a way to do that. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I think that's a better line. It's, it's for a living. And for us, for a living means putting food on the table and not even on the table, but (laughs) yeah, right. In your hand, the table you don't have, Yeah, you know, making a living for climbing, guys and girls is, is a little bit different than what maybe making a living for a lawyer is. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, kind of the concept is sort of finding that line of keeping that soul in there and making it also sort of marketable in a sense. So, you know, your website is certainly an amazing tear sheet for you in terms of, of, okay, you're that guy, that guy that wrote all that sort of stuff. I guess this may end up being something like that for me, but, um, but yeah, it's really interesting to kind of, you know, it's really helpful for me to talk to you, to talk to, to Fitz, to talk to all these different people. Cause I guess we are sort of coming at it from this direction 
um, underground and coming up through the bottom to see if we can we can get a little piece of the pie up there. So, I, I love Fitz's story because it's uh, you know talking about what he's up to and what I'm doing. He's actually going to be the creative director for this uh, TED Talk style tour um, called Go Make Stories, mm-hmm. and it's going to be I think it's going to be this winter or early next spring. We'll tour around, you know. And he's going to pick five or six people to tell stories on stage in front of a live audience about the outdoors, which is a really rad thing. And, you know, every time he tells me about a new job, I'm like, that is so, it's so rad. That's what you're doing because his whole business started when he was writing and trying to write for magazines and, you know, struggling like everybody does to, to make money off of it because you don't get paid on time or much, you know, and like, like, you know, you know. And uh, so one day the guy just like starts reading stories into a microphone in a closet in in Ballard in Seattle, you know, and now he's Fitz Cahal. And it's like everybody needs to get these huge video projects. And like I watch these videos that he does and I'm like, oh, yeah. So you last year you did the and the bugaboos and then you went to the Wind River Range and backpacked and then you're. Oh, now you're an El Cap. And that's, that's like pedestrian for him. You know, sure. I'm like, yeah, look at this amazing life this guy has, you know, and it's like. I love that story, and it's grassroots. He just entirely self-created. Yeah, yeah. It's like line your closet with some down jackets, read a story into a microphone, and then it just like gave him this path. And it wasn't this traditional. Well, I'm just going to keep writing for magazines until mm-hmm. I get big. And it's like, how do you get big? Do what you love. Yeah. And, and it, you know, and you want to believe that when you're when you're a writer or a creator, you're just like, you have to believe in this one in a million shot or whatever it is. And to me, that's him. You know, and it's great. And now it's a full-time business with him and Becca and then and Austin and then uh, NASA. And then they have an intern too. And every time I talk to him, Oh, you got an intern? Yeah, oh, you got a hot tub now? Oh, look at you media mogul. And I like bust his balls about it. Yeah. Because, the intern things got always stuck in my craw too. Right. You're like, wow. I mean, you have, you literally have four employees, including yourself. I'm like, and this is a guy reading stories in a closet in Seattle. Like now look at you. It's just, I don't know. I'm like, I'm really proud, you know? And like, it's just cool to, that that story can still happen, even in an industry as small as ours. It's not like we're, I don't know, a big industry. We're the oil industry or the tech industry, and it's cool. It's this, like, dirtbag American dream thing. And uh, we were just walking out of the show the other day, and I'm like, man, you got a hole in the back of your T-shirt, Fitz. Like, what are you doing, dude? And he just gotten out of a bunch of meetings, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, this is legit, you know? All right, well, enough so, about that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> We're all just like this is the Fiskal fan club here. <laughs> well, he's a friend. And, yeah, uh, yeah. No, no. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. just kidding. I used to call him my arch nemesis before I'd met him. Yeah. So no, he's. Uh, well, you guys are doing two different things. The podcast. Oh no, too, totally. Right? We're, we're yeah, we're completely in uh, in alliance on on the whole thing. So you got way better mics too, by the way. Do I? Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. They just sort of look cool. Yeah. <laughs> but the uh, no that when I had a meeting with him, I. That was the main thing I walked away telling people. I'm like, he makes a living doing this. Like, he's got like a house and a kid and he's married and like, and that's what he does for a living. Yeah. I said that to about 50 people within a week of talking to him. (laughs) You know, I just was like in stars in my eyes. Like, oh my God, this is, he's the guy. It's possible though. That's what it tells me, you know, like, yeah, it's really cool. And it's a guy who, he's a writer and Mm -hmm. now he's like. What, what are you doing with a video camera in your hand? I don't know how to do that shit. I mean, I don't know how to run that. Well, yeah, but it, you know, and it's a little bit cliche to st- say it, but whatever. I can, I can traffic in cliches. Is that it's storytelling, whether it's yep. whether it's with yeah. the camera or, totally. or whether it's on a mic or whether he's doing that. So, right. um, well, awesome. Is there anything else you want to uh, you want to spray about before we get out of here? Your voice is shot from all I the know. talking this weekend. I know. But that's that's what we do at these things. Gosh, I know. I don't think I don't think I have anything. I mean, keep up the good work. This is rad. Like, Thanks this a lot. Is really cool. Like, uh, it's just another story out of nowhere, you know. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I really do feel like there's there's like this crew of of. I mean, I've I've created that in my head, and I've also inducted myself into it without you guys knowing it. But <laughs> Wait, uh, there's no club. Yeah, no, know? there is. I think there is. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> And I'm its president. I need to get jumped in if that's, <laughs> if that's possible. But yeah, no, I, like I said, I just feel like what you're doing is really awesome. And uh, I always enjoy checking it out. And I really appreciate you hiking over here and, and sitting down at the mic. Yeah. And yeah. hopefully we'll be able to work together again on something uh, creative. Yeah, totally. Thanks, Chris. 
All right. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. And I want to thank Brendan for coming and sitting down and being so open about his life. I got a lot out of this interview, which is actually one of the great fringe benefits of doing this is getting to sit down and talk to people in depth in a way that I think sort of a normal climbing talk, we don't get to go that deep. So that was really special. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and are enjoying the project. I really appreciate all the encouragement I've been getting. Those of you new to the show, make sure and go over and like the Facebook page. Make sure and head over to iTunes and subscribe and write a review. Also stop by the website, anormalcast.com. And while you're futzing around online, you might as well check out Brendan's site too, semirad.com. Awesome stuff over there. It'll definitely make you smile. Well, what's coming up next? I don't really know. You guys know I'm making this up on the fly. I got a bunch of stuff in the can. So just stay tuned. Be careful out there. And uh, remember to check your knot. And hell, check your partners too. In fact, why don't you look over at the guy next to you and have a glance at his as well. What do you got to lose? Come far, pilgrim. Tears like fog. Where's the trouble? Ah. What trouble?